Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Holly Kostrowski about hope, humor, and inspiration after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Dr. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I'm editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Vollmer. Also, don't forget to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Holly Kostreski, and Holly's path forever changed at the age of 18 when she sustained a life-changing traumatic brain injury as the result of a motor vehicle crash. Significant challenges followed during her ongoing recovery. Through faith, determination, tenacity, a positive attitude, and a great sense of humor, Holly graduated college with honors, went on to earn a master's degree in public health, and is currently writing her dissertation to complete a PhD in public health and community health. Ironically, Holly works in traffic safety for the state of Minnesota. Welcome to the podcast, Holly. So excited to have you here. Thank you, Amy, for having me. I I have to humbly thank you because I tell you, I think I'm excited to be here, first of all. And second of all, I think about all of the good that you've done and provided resources for those living with brain injuries. And gosh, I wish that all of this would have been available 21 years ago when I first sustained my brain injury. And I know that you're helping so many people not feel alone because of all the good work that you've done. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, that that's, that's kind of my mission. I mean, you know, my injury was six years ago and I feel like even six years ago, there wasn't resources out there. I mean, there's still a lack of resources. So that's kind of why yeah, everything a lack I of understanding. Is, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I just want to help people find resources sooner or at least let them know there's alternatives to what their neurologist might be telling them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So thank you. And, you know, yeah. we have like circled each other at, so many different <laughs> events, it seems like I never actually I met in person. So <laughs> you're like my my favorite um, brain injured Minnesota girlfriend that I've never met. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Holly, I would love for you to begin by sharing your your injury. Um, you were in a car accident when you were 18. 
Um, mm-hmm. So maybe share us, share with us a little bit of that and, um, you know, how your recovery has transpired over the last couple decades. Sure. And so first I'll just start out because I do work in, in uh, injury prevention and traffic safety. And so we call them a crash because it's a predictable and preventable event and um, not an accident. It took me a really long time to call my own a motor vehicle crash and not an accident because I was at fault. I was the driver. I was a teen novice driver. Um, it was a July day, clear roads, blue sky, which is the number one time to have a crash in Minnesota. Clear, dry roads, bright blue skies. Number one time for a, a motor vehicle crash, serious injury or fatality to happen in Minnesota. And I was the driver. I was driving my friend's um, vehicle. He had not felt very good. And so he had taken like an allergy medicine. I grew up in the Red River Valley. And so it was harvest season at the time. And so he took a uh, some type of allergy medicine was going to take a nap and I was taking a cut across on the way to the local county fair. Well, the cut across ended up being a place I got lost and I ended up being in the intersection where all of us have had our parents say, please don't go there. A lot of people are hurt at that intersection. And I crossed the intersection and um, as I crossed, I saw a, a bright light from my right and I realized that we were going to get hit. Um, my passenger was not belted and that's how I sustained my traumatic brain injury. Um, when he hit my head, I had a fracture that went from the base of my skull to the top of my head, and I, I had a coup contra coup brain injury um, with significant damage to the temporal and parietal um, lobes. Um, when he hit my head, my ear burst from the pressure, so it popped off, but when our two skulls hit, my ear actually burst from the pressure, and he broke the roots of his teeth. So that's kind of where it, where it all began, I guess. He broke the what? Uh, the roots of his teeth. Um, oh, when he hit my skull, wow. yeah, wow. yeah, he, he broke the roots of his teeth when our skulls hit because he was unbelted. Yeah, um, our skulls hit, and then my ear burst from the pressure of he hitting me, but his the roots of his teeth broke. So, wow, wow, yeah. And um, you mentioned coup contra coup, and mm-hmm. I think it's important we take a moment to maybe explain what that is because. Obviously, you and I know what that means, but someone listening might not have heard that term before. Um, so can you just kind of briefly tell us what that means? So, and I, I, I always explain it in the most layman term, but my yeah. brain was in, <laughs> slapped left to right, front to back. Um, yep. And that's how I usually explain it. I don't know if you have a better way. Well, yeah, it just basically means your brain bounced around inside your skull a little bit. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I think... Um, so many injuries, like you don't even have to hit your head. I I don't know if you did hit your head or not. Well, yeah, you collided with him. Um, you know, but even not hitting your head, just that jolt, like say you fell down the stairs on your butt, but your head was still getting jostled around. Your brain was still kind of getting jiggled around inside your skull on the way down. So you don't even have to hit your head. Your brain can literally just hit your skull and, I I just want to reiterate to parents listening that this is why helmets don't prevent a concussion in football Mm -hmm. and other sports, Um, because your brain can still make impact with your skull. There's nothing that can prevent that. Um, So just my little segue there. (laughs) Oh, right. And Um, I think about all of our military folks, too. They had helmets on, but because how... You know, the when the bombs went off and they sustained brain injuries like that, you know, not, nothing was actually hit on them. Um, it was just the yep. way that were mm-hmm. so. It was just the blast. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and you talk about how he, he wasn't belted in. And so he hit you. Um, Correct. I learned, I learned this way before my own brain injury. Um, a friend mm-hmm. of ours had been in a motorcycle accident and um, the doctor explained that most injuries occur when there's two people riding together on a bike when they have an accident, they're, the way momentum works, their heads will impact each other before they even, like, fly off the bike. Um, and that, like, image has always stuck with Um So when you talked about, you know, he, he actually hit you physically, you know, you hit skulls, um, that kind of, like, brought up that image of, of people on motorcycles and having those type of accidents. Um yeah, and skulls are hard, right? Like they're so hard. They're there right? to protect yeah, yeah, they're us, so hard. but man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and where my Someone skull fracture happened, you could actually kind of um put your finger in back there, like where it where wow. it cracked. Yeah, I had a I had a decent size uh which in the long run was helpful to me, right? Because it helped allow my brain to swell. Um yep, so they yep. didn't have to do surgery, so it probably was a blessing even though it wasn't a blessing. Yeah, yeah. What, what about him? Um, he's okay. Yeah, he's okay. He didn't necessarily have the same consequences you did. No. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's what's super fascinating, too, is two people in the exact same accident. I mean, your skulls collided um, and one person can have significant injuries and the other person can walk away just fine. And so I think... Yeah you know, that that's just what's so hard for people to comprehend because um, it's so invisible, you know, and no right. two injuries are the same, no two recoveries are the same. So, so yeah. yeah. So after the accident, um, were you conscious or were you unconscious then yes, after I the was, accident? I was conscious the whole time and he wasn't. Wow. And, um, oh, wow. And so I, I remember thinking that, um, I was fine because I walked on to the, um, I'm from a very rural, remote part of the state. And so they put, actually put both of us into the ambulance when, because um, it was a July night and they needed volunteer ambulances at different little towns. And so we shared an ambulance ride um, to the local trauma hospital, which was 45 miles away. And there were about 11 cases brought in that night. And so I was deemed the least um, hurt mm. because I looked fine, right? <laughs> my mom still says my mom is a nurse and she worked ER, so she wasn't quite sure what she was going to see when she came into the ER that night. And she said, "Here was her 18-year-old with her makeup still perfect, and the, my hair was fine. It was just the side that got bloody from the ear that was a wreck. Otherwise, everything else looked fine." Mm-hmm. And um, I, I looked fine. And I, how many times have we heard that, right? You look fine. And I always joke I'd have all of my student loans paid off for if anybody that told me I looked fine gave me a penny. <laughs> I have my yeah. Off. Um, but uh, so I was the last one looked at in the ER that night. And uh, they, when they took the neck brace off, they realized that my ear was in sorry shape. And so I'm forever grateful that they called an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat doctor to sew my ear back on because who better knows how to sew an ear back on than an ENT. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, but what I'm probably even more grateful for is that this is 1999. And I had several stitches on my leg that had hit the dash and stuff. And when I went to go get my stitches out, um, just a regular physician um, said he's just needed wait, a... Wait, wait, yeah. wait. So are you saying you didn't even get an x-ray in the ER? I did. I had x-ray, I had MRI, I had everything. 
and I stayed in the hospital for five days, and I was not considered oh. CPI. Yeah. But they. Yep. But I was, did they catch your cracked skull? Yep. Yep. So just wait. It's wow. really interesting story. <laughs> so wow. I was really strange when I got okay. cold. I, I <laughs> oh, go ahead. I, I was no, really I'm strange. just like, I'm marveling at it. I used to be super organized. I used to be organized, and I used to be able to get things done. And all of a sudden, um, I was not doing what I was supposed to be doing. Or my mom would come home, and I'd have like the broom in one corner, dust piled all over the house, rugs in a different room. Like I, I couldn't get my act together, and I couldn't sleep. I had a terrible post-traumatic stress that I dealt with for years from the crash. Um, but when we went in to have these stitches out, six weeks post-crash, um, that we found they, this gentleman said I should probably see a neurologist and because he'd sustained a concussion in college. He's the first person that said I should see a neurologist. This is me out of the hospital. And I went to a neurologist in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and that neurologist in 1999 said, you're a bright gal. Let's do neuropsychological testing. Who gets that, Amy? Nobody gets that. I hear of all the stories today. People don't get neuropsych testing. And I was lucky enough to get it in 1999 in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, wow. Yeah, I know. Right. So the neurologist is the one that told me I had a traumatic brain injury. Um, and uh, then I went through neuropsych testing, which I know you've been through, and it's like the worst experience anybody can ever go through to find out you're bright, but you somehow can't um, build a sentence with blocks. I don't know. It's just such a terrible experience. Um, so, Well, you know, I'm even impressed that, I mean, it took several doctors to get there, but just the fact that they even actually said traumatic brain injury back then um, – I'm just still marveling at how you had this massively fractured skull and yeah, oh, I, <laughs> it wasn't yeah, even too. like considered. No, no. Yeah. And my mom was even like pointing it out and, and telling them, you know, I think something's wrong here. So, man, you yeah. know, and I think that they just, there's some assumption that, you know, oh, you're 18, you'll bounce back. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. there's still some assumption with that even now, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but at the same time, your brain isn't done developing until you're almost 30, Um, you know, so it's like there's just so much that can go wrong. Um, So what did your recovery look like? I mean, did you have any treatment back then? Like what what happened after the neuropsych testing? (laughs) Yeah, she laughs. Yeah, it's been, I I like to put it in chapters. The first five years, the second five years, I count everything in five years. So if anybody ever wants to talk to me about this, I'll want to know which block of five years are you in? Because I'll tell you, it gets better. But but the first five years are pretty rough. Um, And so we actually um, moved to Duluth. I was supposed to go to college someplace else, and it was deemed with my neuropsych testing that I would um, not be successful in college. So I chose to move with my mom to Duluth, Minnesota, so that my dad um, was going to tie up some farming things where we lived. And when all my friends were leaving home for college, I didn't. my parents didn't think it was in the best interest of me just to stay there. I'd probably just get down in the dumps and be depressed. And apparently it's not okay to be depressed when you have a brain injury because <laughs> I don't know about you, but every time I, you know, they, I would go to the physician and, 
and they would just try to put me on depression medications. And I'm not, I'm not saying that there yeah. is a need for depression medication because there is. But I also just want to let people know something, if you have a TBI, something really bad happened to you and it's okay to be sad. Like it's okay. Yes. Like you might, you might, you <laughs> might need depression medication or you might just need to cry and be like, I'm really sad because yeah. this really terrible thing happened to me. And you're just usually not given that option. It's pills or no pills. Like you're not just given the option. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be sad today because something bad happened to me. Well, um, and, and for me, I, I intuitively knew like, how is an antidepressant going to help my brain injury? Like, right. I'm going to put chemicals yes. in my brain. What? Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And my mom, thank goodness. My mom had seen so much having been a nurse in so many different types of, um, you know, nursing through at that point, 40 some years of nursing. And so she said, you know, the brain can really flip out on, you know, a sensitive brain can really flip out on something. So let's just try and like, do it as therapeutic as we can, like, and just homeopathic as we can. And she helped me make these decisions for myself because I was an adult, but we just kind of made them together. And so I actually ended up with um, uh, finding applied kinesiology, and I have done a lot of homeopathic remedies that have helped me be successful. And I swear Mm, to goodness, 21 years later, I've never been on depression medication. I've hardly been on pain medication and I've been able to figure out and I've been in terrible depression, terrible, terrible depression. And I've been in terrible pain, uh, terrible, terrible pain. And I've somehow been able to negotiate it using homeopathic (laughs) methods. And I I highly recommend them. I believe in them. I know you do too. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. supplements were a huge thing for me. My diet has been important to me. Um, Craniosacral therapy was really a blessing for me. Um, So I think that it's just, Um, you need to find other alternatives and options that are helpful for you. And I I have a neurologist now that is really, um, well, not now, I should say. I've had had a female neurologist almost the whole time since I've been in Duluth uh, for 20 years, and they just listen to you at a different level, and they believe me when I say there's something wrong with my hormones, and it must have to do with the brain injury long before I could find evidence that that was a thing. (laughs) Um, And so I just think that, you know, if you're given a first neurologist, it's okay to try to get a different neurologist if you don't think they're on the same path as you. Yeah, 100%. And I find it fascinating that you actually found one to listen to you about the hormone component because um, that's pretty rare. Um, that's a complaint I see come up over and over and over again, especially with females. The whole hormone component is overlooked or they only, you know, traditional doctors. I mean, I'm sure you have experienced this. The traditional doctors only look at a couple things in your blood panel, whereas a functional doctor um, looks at like 200 things in your blood. Right. So they're looking right. at probably right. like. I don't know the number, that, but they're probably looking at a dozen hormone markers versus right. like two that your traditional right. doctor's looking at. Yeah. Yep. So that's impressive. You found someone who would listen to you in the traditional field. Well, they didn't, they didn't know how to do all of it quite yet, you know, but at least they were listening, you know, in the late nineties and early weren't 2000s. Just missing they you. Didn't, they didn't yeah. Dis- yeah. They didn't disagree with me. They said, you know, that's probably, yes, but the neurologist that I've had, I've been blessed with and, and they've been female. And so I think that's, you know, female know that there's odd hormonal things. And so, but there's not a lot of female neurologists either. So I found. Yeah. Mine was a female, but she, mm-hmm. all she wanted to do for me was give me Botox injections for my neck. And I was oh, like, yeah. um, yeah. what, what about my brain injury? That's why yeah, I'm right. here. My chiropractor can help with my neck. 
<laughs> yeah. So I, I have right-sided weakness uh, from my brain injury. So my right arm, my right leg don't work very well, and I have spasticity in them. And mm, um, yeah. I was given the option of Botox, too, except then they tried to think, well, that's a lot of Botox. I would need an awful lot of Botox for my whole right arm and right leg. So then they decided that wasn't a good option for me. Um, so, yeah. But, you know, I will say that, you know, an anti-inflammatory diet did help a lot for me. So if other people yeah. are yeah. for pain, pain concerns, um, that was a real game, game changer for me um, when I went gluten, dairy, soy free. Mm-hmm. Yes, the brain-gut connection and the anti-inflammatory. You know, I'm currently doing my 200-hour yoga teacher training. And so I've been taking um, this other course about neuroscience and yoga because, hi, why wouldn't I take that? Um, (laughs) And it's fascinating to me um, because she's really breaking down, like, you know, traditional science. Um, versus like yoga and how like in the traditional world, everything's research-based. It has to have research to back it up, right? Mm-hmm. And and everything is like fixed by pill. Not everything, but um, where in the yoga world, it's, it's just, it's holistic. And everything mm-hmm. we need to heal ourselves is within us and, you know, within what we eat. And, you know, it's just, it's fascinating and it's like, gosh, I wish, you know, I'd have gotten into this a long time ago. Like I've always been into yoga, but I've never been into like the philosophy of it and the background of it. Um, so it's really fascinating to learn all of this and then taking this neuro, the neuroscience of yoga class is I bet. even that would be really further cool. fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, you talked about uh, you took a lot of natural supplements and mm-hmm. um, you did some AK work, and you know I I just so I you know I've been into functional medicine, you know taking high quality supplements and um, you know the diet component, but I just recently um, saw a Chinese medicine doctor, and that's been fascinating. Like that's a world I've oh. never really understood. Um, and so that's been super fascinating as well. Um, the different things that they look at and how our bodies are, how our bodies function. And, um, you know, I, I personally think I had COVID back in January and we think that that's what's been flaring up and aggravating my body. And so she's giving me some Chinese herbs to try and clear that virus out of me and not a single traditional doctor would listen to me when I said, I think I had COVID, even if it wasn't COVID, it was some virus, right? It was something Mm -hmm. nasty in my body. Mm -hmm. Um, And not a single traditional doctor has acknowledged that that could be what's flaring up um, some stuff with me right now. So, you know, it's just, it's really interesting how Eastern and Western look at things so differently. I know. And it's in their training too, but you have to think about it's your body. So how do you want it to be? And I always Mm -hmm. chose that I don't want my body. I want, I don't want my body to be like um, drugged up. I want my body yep. to function at its best ability so that – because the body's super, um super great at being able to heal itself if you give it the opportunity yes. to. But yes. if you don't give it the opportunity, it you know, and you drug it all the time then. So that's why I've, I've been, I don't know, doing homeopathic since probably 2001. 
um, was the first time mm-hmm. I was introduced to it. So I've been, I've, I'm grateful I'm in Duluth because it's a little bit of a hippie city. So there's more access to some of those things here maybe than other places. Um, but it's been expensive because my insurance doesn't yeah. pay for it. So yep. very yep. expensive. Mm-hmm. That's what's hard too for folks. Yeah, you know, I lived with my folks until I was 20, 29 um, because I couldn't, I couldn't, and I had graduated from college and I, um, but I was on, I have a seizure disorder, so I was on seizure medication plus my supplements, and I couldn't afford my medical bills and rent. I had to choose, and I was going to choose, you know, my supplements and my seizure medication over over rent. So I lived in the yeah. parents, I was 29, um, and that's why I think people think that you're going to snap back so fast, like you said. You know, if, if a crash happens when they're my age, right between their high school uh, senior and going to college, they think it's okay just to send your kid. And so many times my parents have said, what if we would have just sent you to college? You know, what would have happened? You know, what would the outcome have been? You're, you're worried about those kinds of cases. You know, and I want to go back for a moment to um, you just said crash again, and that reminded me. Um, I want to touch on that for a moment, the motor vehicle crash, the statement you made at the beginning um, of how, in Minnesota, they're trying not to call it an accident anymore. It's a crash. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the first time I've ever heard that. I've ever heard that explained. Um, and I live here. <laughs> and it's probably similar in other states, too. Um, you know, and the reason I hesitate to say crash is because I feel like that's a triggering word for some people. Um, mm-hmm. But that's really an interesting, because you're right, it's not, I mean, yeah, it is an accident, but no, it's not an accident, right? Like it's a crash. Um, yeah. Yeah. So can you can you speak to that pr- just a little bit more? Like, sure. is that a triggering yeah. word for you, or not really? So it's a predictable. So I have a background in public health, and so I'll say it from that podium first, and then I'll go over to my brain injury survivor from a crash podium because it's kind of two different podiums I have to speak off of to tell this, but it's a kind of a, a, it's a worldview amongst the injury prevention folks that work in traffic safety to call it a motor vehicle crash because crashes are not accidents. They're predictable and preventable and they happen because of speed, impairment, distraction. That's why a crash occurs. Some behavior happened behind the wheel. And um, so it wasn't an accident and I'm not saying it was premeditated or anything like that. It was just a behavior Mm -hmm. that they chose behind the wheel, okay, so we know Amy and I are going to get snow tomorrow, and we know there's going to be a bunch of crashes. And the majority of those crashes are going to occur because somebody's driving too fast for the condition. Um, so that's not an accident. They, it's a predictable event and preventable event. Now, for me, I was working, I worked um, tribal traffic safety right out of college. I was, I was lucky enough to work for Fond du Lac Reservation, and I did injury prevention for them. And I worked there for many years before I started my current position. But um, when I started learning about this and learning that you're supposed to call it a crash, not an accident, I realized that I would talk about all the crashes except mine. I'd always say my accident, my accident, right? Oh, and so yeah, I, interesting. I a, it, it was really interesting because I was, you know, not quite yet 25, right? So I'm still growing my brain and I'm, you know, and I'm growing my brain injured brain, right? In, in development. And I had been through college and I, um, I was in the working world and I'm learning about this and I realized that that's when I had to kind of admit that it was a crash that I caused and I hurt myself. Um, so I was a driver. I was in charge. I mean, you know, I didn't make my passenger put the seatbelt on. I knew he should. I had my seatbelt on, but I didn't make my passenger put um, the seatbelt on. So, um, so now I call it a crash, but I think that just takes time and it's a wound 
And so if you're not ready to call it that, that's fine, and I completely understand why. I just like to educate folks on that because sometimes it is also helpful um, for them to know that, you know, we shouldn't diminish it because I, you know, and I work, I do work for the governor. I work for the state, not, not in this capacity because I'm talking to you via my brain injuries business. But um, when I speak about um, preventing motor vehicle crashes, I speak that I, I work for the walking wounded like you and I, I know yours wasn't a motor vehicle crash, but you know, those that are living with serious injuries from motor vehicle crashes, their caregivers, and also those that died in motor vehicle crashes and their families. That's, that's who I work for at the end of the day. And so I think it's just really important for folks to think about it in that capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, too, for some people, it makes a difference if, if it was their fault or someone yeah, else's exactly. fault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah like you already said, sure. it was your fault. Um, mm-hmm. you know, some people hold a lot of anger towards the person who injured them, you yeah. know? Um, so yeah, there's so many components I did. into that. I, I thought it was him, him that injured me because he didn't have a seatbelt on. <laughs> I didn't take, you know, Not I mean, the fact it was. that you were driving. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Holly, Uh we're just about out of time, but I would love to wrap up just asking you, you know, what are your final um, words of wisdom for anyone listening who, you know, is still dealing with their injury? Um, You know, what words of advice do you have for them? You know, I think it's really important to um, get into nature and, and get some sunshine every day. I think it's important to have a positive attitude and it's really important to celebrate the small victories. Living with a traumatic brain injury is really tough. It's tough. And so anytime I, I, I failed at OT and PT at least a dozen times each. And so I, I think it's so important for when you do finally master an exercise in PT or OT that you celebrate it and you celebrate it big, big or small wins. I remember being in college and I would drool all over myself because I'd have a seizure in the middle of class and I was embarrassed. But then, you know, some days were good days. So you have to always celebrate those victories. Yeah. And here you are getting your PhD. We'll call you I Dr. Am, Holly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for, I said for, for seven days, I'm only going to respond to Dr. Holly. Otherwise, you know, then, I'll, then I won't ever ask for that again. But if you are thinking about, you know, a, a gift that will be helpful to a brain injured person this holiday season, I just wrote down three things before I talked to you that I wanted to say. Um, I think the world of weighted blankets, I know not everybody mm-hmm. loves them, helps, helps me a lot. Um, I realized that I didn't know how to brush my teeth after my crash, but that was only after I got 10 cavities. And it's probably from my right side of my oh, wow. So yeah. I think it's important to get an, a TBI person an electric toothbrush because it tells you if you're brushing too hard and when to move teeth and all that jazz. Yeah, so yep. A big mm-hmm. prevention strategy in the long run. And then finally, I'm always in my sunglasses. I have really, I'm light sensitive. And so my sunglasses are either on my face or on top of my head. And so invest in a good pair of shades because it's worth it for your eyes. Yeah, great list. Perfect timing. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here, Holly. This has been a wonderful conversation. I could sit and chat with you for hours. So right. glad we were yeah, finally able to connect. <laughs> yes, this is fun. Thanks so much, Amy. 
Yeah, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, Just another big thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. Get your free consultation online at integratedbraincenters.com. And a reminder that you can find previous podcasts on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes, or you can find them directly at facesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And also remember to join Amy's TBI tribe on Facebook. Thank you for listening and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.